Happy holidays. This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and you are on with Wine, Women, and Writing podcast. Today, I do a show where I talk to other writers about their stories with complex, authentic females at their core, as well as the real-life issues that translate into great reads. And we do it with the occasional dips into oversharing, profanity, irreverence, a lot of humor, vast quantities of whatever gets us through the day. For me, that's mostly dog hugs and horse kisses, but this morning it's a lot of coffee. Today we have a really fun um, conversation in store with Laurie Lowenstein about her historical mystery, Death of a Rainmaker. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Writing, Laurie. No, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and happy holidays from the East Coast. Well, and happy holidays from Wyoming. How on the East <laughs> Coast are you? Are you nippy and cold today, or are we on season? Yeah. No, it's it's chilly, and it's in the 40s, and it's overcast, but it's not raining, which we've had a ton of rain, so it's not raining. That's the plus. <laughs> That's a good thing because when we use technology for these podcasts, bad weather can really be our Achilles heel. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, and in, I, I hear that you're coming to us not just from the East Coast, but also from a very special location at a hotel where you're staying at. <laughs> where are you, Lori? <laughs> yes, yes. I, well, I'm actually in the fitness center of the uh, Hampton Inn. In uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, I was trying to find a quiet place <laughs> in the hotel, the business center. I couldn't get in there. I tried the pool. There was a really loud uh, exhaust system going. And uh, in the dining area, the staff member was closing up. And so the doors are banging. So, I, so I'm in the fitness center. I'm not exercising, but... <laughs> You may get I some can funny pretend look. I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People may walk in and be like, what is with this woman? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Talking to herself. Well, um, I was telling you earlier when we were chatting before the show that for me, this podcast has become kind of like my own personal book club. And if there's one thing mm. I've found with book clubs is that they're usually, and, and I speak from a lot of book club experience, Excuses for wine clubs. <laughs> have you ever been? <laughs> I have. I, I started one with, with another woman when we were living in, um, I was living in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and uh, we were picking books we liked, and no one else apparently liked them because no one was coming. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had it at the library, and we'd go month after Ann and I, and then finally a few brave souls came in and uh, joined us, and then they sort of started giving their input, which was must they, they picked better books than we did because we got up, so we ended up with a lot of people. But it was sort of, <laughs> that's funny. We were picking sort of you know books that people hadn't heard of that were maybe had been published 50 years ago (laughs) (laughs) you were not on you were not dipping into the oprah list what was wrong with you right (laughs) right i know (laughs) well the um Uh. The, the book clubs that I've been in do tend to go for the more contemporary stuff. And yours, of course, uh, only came out in October of 2018. So while it's historical, I think we could call it um, contemporarily published. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. 
and not much wine drinking going on during the era that your book is set in. So tell us a little bit about Death of a Rainmaker and its um, its historical underpinning. I can't speak this morning. More coffee. Historical mm-hmm. underpinnings and uh, and the story itself. Okay, uh, sure. So it's it's set in the 1930s, which um, the it was the Great Depression and and across the whole United States. But it's also set more specifically in Oklahoma, which was a which um, was beset by the Dust Bowl, as was a, was a parts of Colorado, Texas, uh, and Kansas, and, and and other parts of those states in those areas. And the Dust Bowl was a um, a, a very extended period of drought for maybe ten years, and that combined with uh, soil erosion. Uh, cause these huge masses of dust storms to roll through this area time after time and really made it practically unlivable. So that's the setting. And yes, although prohibition was lifted in the 30s, there was still not, I don't think they were drinking a lot of wine, but there were uh, beer and uh, whiskey and they had, you know, people were still doing moonshining. It was still... Um, but my story focuses on a fictitious town and county in Oklahoma, and um, it's in the middle of this drought, this long extended drought, and um, a sort of shady character comes to town, and he convinces the town fathers that he's a rainmaker, and so the book opens with him arriving, and they hire him. And he gives a demonstration of how he's going to make it rain. And um, they go outside of town and he uh, sets off explosives. His theory is that the explosives will cause it to rain. And uh, so he does his demonstration. Everyone goes back to town believing it will rain the next day. And so the next day, the movie theater opens for its matinee. And the theater owner, who is a blind man, discovers a dead body. Uh, outside in the alley outside his theater and it's the rainmaker so that's the mystery part who killed this rainmaker and and it, it really given that you're set in this time where people were so desperate the rainmaker and his very existence to me was just he was it, it's evil in the most commonplace way selling hope to yeah. people that had yeah nothing. So he was an yes. easy guy to, to, to love to see dead <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat. Like, there you go. You deserve yeah. that, fella. And one of the things that really grabbed me about your opening was how quickly we experienced a dust storm. And, and honestly, yeah. even growing up in Texas like I did, I never really immersed myself in, in the thought or the feeling of what would it have been like? And terrifying. Yeah terrifying yeah yeah it really blotted when one of those things rolled through if it was daytime um that would just blot out all light it was like you're in the dark total darkness and you know people really this all this dust in the air the old people and young kids got what they call dust pneumonia which was you know dust in their lungs and it was um it made life very difficult and, and a lot of people did not stay they they fled and john steinbeck wrote in grapes of wrath about the people who actually left and went to california to try and 
to try and make it. But there are people who stayed in their towns and in their on their farms. And um, I had read a book by uh, Timothy Egan. It's a nonfiction book called The Worst Hard Time. And I think it won the National Book Award in 2006. I highly recommend it. It's, it's about the people who stayed in the Dust Bowl. And he interviews about five families, one from Texas and Colorado and uh, Oklahoma and what their descendants he interviews. And it's very moving. And I just was inspired by that book to write this one. I saw that in your acknowledgments and that, you know, as I was sitting here thinking about your story and the setting and what a big role the setting played in, in people and their decisions and how they were acting and comparing it to my experience reading Grapes of Wrath and how you yeah. didn't get that same, you know, you knew things were desperate, but your book stayed there. And, mm-hmm. and so everything was informed by the fact that these storms were omnipresent and, and how desperately people needed it to rain. So I found that very fascinating. Um, oh, good. One of the things I noticed in one of the reviews, and listeners will get a kick out of this, it said, you might need a glass of water while reading this book. <laughs> Yeah, and it does get a little dry. It gets dry, but or I wine. Think, I think even yeah, or wine. <laughs> I think that again, that what um, what I would want readers to know about your writing is it's not just when it's sad; it's that Laurie really makes you feel it. Your, um, mm. your descriptions are historically accurate; they're very evocative, so you can feel the dust and you can feel it as if you were set in that you know that era and that uh, time yourself. So kudos. Mm. It was really, it was lovely, Thank you. lovely in a painful way, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and your cast of characters is going to continue, I guess. Are you making this into a series? Yes, I'm hoping to do that. So I started the next one right now. But um, yeah, so the main characters in this one and we'll, who will continue is a, this local sheriff named Temple uh, Jennings and his wife, Etha. And um, so at the, or I'm sorry, Temple begins to um, investigate the death of this rainmaker along with his deputy. And Etha um, becomes interested uh, when there's no, uh, when the investigation focuses on a young man who is in the Civilian Conservation Corps um, outside of town. The Civilian Conservation Corps was a program founded by uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt as one of his first uh, acts as, uh, for in the New Deal, and it was to give young unemployed men work, and they were stationed in camps all across the country and, and asked to do, um, they were doing things like uh, planting trees for, to prevent soil erosion, and in other areas they were building dams and doing a lot of um, state parks. They did a lot of building and like making picnic pavilions uh, and uh, cabins. And so there's still, you can go all across the country and their thought of their work is still there, still standing. So the, the investigation focuses on this young man in the Civilian Conservation Corps and Etha becomes convinced that he did not do it and sets out to find who else. So um, it, it was interesting. After I wrote the book, I I was inspired a little bit by Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Yes. Because uh, there's a part of there where one of the two killers are uh, arrested in this true story that it, it's 
um, killings in Kansas. And the two killers are arrested and they're taken to the county jail. And the jail has a a unit of cells, but then there's also a single cell in the sheriff's adjoining apartment. And it was primarily for lady prisoners, but they put one of these killers in there. So I, I was just fascinated that this, this guy was in the sheriff's home, just right outside the kitchen. And so I sort of used that setup and put the jail, one of the jail cells in the kitchen of, of, the sheriff, my fictional sheriff, and they live on the top floor of the courthouse. And then after I wrote the book, I was doing an article for Crime Reads, and I found out that there, this was very common, this kind of arrangement was very common in the Midwest and South from like 1900 to 1950. They called the mom and pop jails. And um, the, the, the sheriff and his family lived either in a house adjacent to the the jail or the jail was right beside them there's often cells um you know not far from the residence maybe down the hall and the sheriff's wife was often does did all a lot of work uh she she made all the meals for the prisoners she did the laundry she you know sewed their clothing she got involved if the sheriff needed to go out and there was no deputy and, and make an arrest. She often went with him. And so she really was an un, and totally unpaid. So right. these women worked, <laughs> worked really hard and um, they, they received no pay. So um, I was just amazed by that. I had, I, I didn't realize that. So I hope at the, I, Fortunately, she seems to fit that pattern, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really wanted her. Really <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to make, I wanted to have a strong woman character, uh, really, you know, who was, was at least um, principal in solving the, the mystery, but also that I wanted her to have a legitimate role. I didn't want it to be a character that stumbles upon the solution and while she's, I don't know, knitting socks or something. I really want it to be uh, historically uh, accurate and legitimate that she would have a role here. So I feel when I found out how how closely these women were involved, I felt vindicated that she could continue to have a role and it wasn't wasn't a stretch. And and for people that um, haven't read the book yet, it's done very, very well because Etha becomes convinced that um, Temple is on the trail of the wrong killer, someone that she, uh, you know, cares about. So she has a vested yeah. interest in, in figuring out who done it. Um, but at the same time in her day-to-day life, she is integral to um, you know, the operation of the sheriff's department through this unpaid contribution, if you will, and has a love hate relationship with it at the one time, if, yeah. if, you know, they're glad to have employment. And on the other hand, one of the um, tenants driving this book is recovery from grief. It's loss and grief. And she yeah. is very, very, um, impacted by the loss of a son and not being where the son is buried and the different ways in which she and her husband are processing that loss that just, you know, it's the, it's the horrible gift that keeps giving, you know, it just doesn't ever go away. 
So I, I found that yeah. very interesting. One of the things that, um, as I was, you know, getting to the ending and without giving any of the ending away, Atha uh, <laughs> and, and Temple are having a conversation where, you know, very directly he is saying, you felt like this would have something to do with the past and, and, and honey, you were right, <laughs> you know, kind of, a kind of, conversation. <laughs> but I found that interesting because I thought, okay, so we've got this, this wonderful author here, Laurie Lowenstein, who has a bit of a bit of a history buff, if you will. (laughs) And we have this character who really believes in how the past informs the present. So you, you studied a lot of history, I take it. (laughs) Yeah, I was, yeah, my family, uh, I'm an only child and the little family vacations we took were often to historical sites either in Ohio or then later on we did get to Williamsburg, which was like the highlight of my childhood. And I don't know, my, my, my folks were liked history. My dad would, you know, it was like you're driving somewhere and there'd be a historic marker and he'd pull over and we have to read that. So <laughs> uh, that's how I started. And uh, I majored in history in college and I went to grad school, get a master's in history. Uh, and then I, couldn't really find work in that field that matched me. So I sort of put it aside, but I, I mean, that you never really do if you have a passion like that. So right. I always read a lot of biographies and um, a lot of history. But uh, so now when I started, uh, I took a creative writing program and started trying try my hand at fiction. I just naturally started p- doing historical fiction. It was it was just what I was interested in. So, yeah, I, um, and I love to do the research. I probably love it too much. I get <laughs> distracted. <laughs> but you do find, you do find little gems that, that enrich the story that you would not have known about if you're not poking around and on the internet and finding things. Well, so. it's, it's like your whole life led to this point. You've been studying history and this led you to the perfect use for it. Yes. Well, I hope so. <laughs> and if my parents were alive, they would say, yes, thank God, she's using that history that, she, that we paid all that money for. So uh, you, you also worked as a reporter. Was that what led you to the creative writing or was that just something? Uh, I was like, I always wanted to be a writer. I thought, and I, you know, I had a couple of teachers that said I was, you know, that was, I was a, okay at it. And, uh, and I read a lot. I always just was one of those kids who just read all the time. And so um, when I, after I got out of grad school with the history masters and didn't know what to do <laughs> with it, I <laughs> looked around and said, well, maybe I could work at a paper. So I did, my first job was at a small weekly or so daily newspaper in upstate New York. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. I did the what was then called the society page. I, I typed up all the wedding announcements and engagements. I also did the obituaries. The, every morning, the funeral director, if they had a death, would call it in, and I would transcribe what they told me. And well, that did that. I got to do some features. Did that? Did the obituaries lead you to the mystery element? Because you know you're very definitely got a mystery here, dead body in the you know the first yeah. twenty pages, and it's a history mystery. So 
How did, yeah. you, how did you go in that direction? Well, I, what, one of the things I like to read besides historical biographies are, are mysteries. <laughs> so I've been reading <laughs> mystery books since I started out with, well, Nancy Drew. And then uh, the book, I don't know if you remember the series called The Three Investigators, but it was, a, it was another sort of Nancy Drew book, except mm-hmm. it was these three boys that lived in a junkyard. In the, well, they, didn't, they had a clubhouse in a junkyard in the middle of, um, I don't know, out in California, I guess. And they solved cases. And then I progressed to Alfred Hitchcock story collections. And so I've, I've always, you know, mysteries are sort of my go-to book. And uh, so I wanted to, tr- my first book was just a sort of straight out historical novel. And this, the second one, I just, just came out. I really wanted to try a mystery because I felt it would be very interesting to see if I could do it because it requires, um, you know, uh, something to be solved and, and red herrings and um, and how is it going to get solved and keep it tense until the end. So I, I, did, I wanted to try it because I love mysteries. So well, that I was think- sort of the... I think you did great. And one of the things that, that I think readers love about mysteries and mystery, um, mystery series is that ongoing relationship with, um, with the cast of characters and just yeah. with the book that you're working on now, or do you have a return to Temple and Etha or is it completely new characters in the same area or what's the series? No, of? it's a, re- yeah, it's the same. Yeah, Temple and Essa are in it. They're they're the primary characters, and they will be solving the case. And there will there are other characters in there in the this last one that will reoccur. Because as a mystery reader, I like this. <laughs> I'm sort mm-hmm. of going by what do I like. And so when <laughs> I go to the library and I get hooked on a series, I want like a whole bunch more of them, and I want the same at least some of the same characters, the same, at least the same primary characters. So I'm, yes, it'll have, it, it'll be the same time and place and people, uh, but new things will happen. <laughs> awesome. And so do, how long do you think readers have to wait for your next one? What's the timeline? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How long does it take you? I mean, I'm not real speedy. Well, my first one took me five years, and the next one one, two, and the next one one. It gets faster, (laughs) but it's okay. That's good to know. (laughs) Yeah, it does get faster. Those first few, you think, how do these authors do it that are cranking them out? And recently, as a year or two ago, I was at a conference where some um, some some mystery writers were talking about their schedule, and I was just thinking, you bitches. And I went, I said, I, I can do this. I'm just going to say that I can, and I'm going to sit down. I'm going to see if I can, but I'm going to believe in my heart that I can. And so I, this was my first year where I've done, you know, one a quarter. Um, and, but it it, it started as far different from that, but I'm, I'm telling you, it was too much. And, um, after next year, I want to slow down. So anyway, enough about me. Okay. But but it does. No, get no. Okay, good. That you give me hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I, my goal is to get this next draft done in a year. But I, I don't know. I've never. You, 
Okay. I'll see. <laughs> Seriously. Um, that was that when I was on my second, that was exactly what I was thinking to myself is, okay, this can't be five mm. years. <laughs> I've got to get this right. done here. And then with the next one, it was yeah. like, I can do this in 10 months. And then it was, I can do this in nine mm. months. And when you're doing wow. a, a mystery series, you start to, number one, you get better at mystery plotting. You know, you talk about the, the plot yeah. and and things. You get faster at that element. It becomes more natural. With a series, you're continuing your setting and your characters. You're more familiar with that yeah. world. You're in the right. historical space. Um, so there are things about it that give you efficiencies that, that um, you don't have with the first one. So be of, be of good cheer. Feel strong. No. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. That's, that's, I really appreciate that. <laughs> and if if it's anything near as good as this first one, it's worth waiting Aww. for you guys. Um, really beautiful prose. It's historical. The mystery is is wonderful, but there's a strong literary element to the book. You really are grabbed mm. by the characters and the settings. So if you haven't, go out and grab yourself a copy of Death of a Rainmaker. I'm going to have to pick up um, Laurie's first novel, Unmentionables Now, just because when I read the description of it being basically about women's undergarments and how they kept <laughs> women from being able to work, I was like, oh, I love this woman. <laughs> I can't wait for that. So, Laurie, tell us a little bit about how readers can find out more about you and your books. Um, anything else? This is shameless plug time. Uh, where to okay. and what you want okay. us to know. Okay. Well, I do have a um, a website, laurieflowenstein.com. And um, I have, I, I'm on Facebook uh, as both an individual as an author. I'm always uh, glad to have uh, new friends and I'm always asking for reading suggestions from all of them. So if you have good books to, to point me toward, um, and uh, I, the book is available on Amazon, in Kindle, and um, in print. It's also available at uh, indie, a lot of indie bookstores. An audio version is coming out, I believe, maybe in February. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited well, about that. I want to. I want to hear the reader. <laughs> it's. It, I think audiobooks are, are um, awesome. They, as a reader, it gives me an entirely different experience. Often, I am reading at the same time as I'm listening. You know, going back and forth. No. And yeah. It's totally different, but I love it, and I find that more and more of the readers that I talk to, whether it's people that listen to podcasts or listen to their books are using this, you know, this new way, this new tech, it's not mm -hmm. new, but let's say growing way. It's the fastest growing yeah. of the book industry. So I love it. Okay. And I think that we have we've pretty much come to the end of our time. It's been fun. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I really, you're just a delight. Thank you so much for having me and for inviting me initially. I think, you, you know, you contacted the publisher yes. well before the book was even out, and I was just so thrilled. So <laughs> it's been just such a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, and I will look forward to your next book, and maybe you can come back on and, and tell us how Temple and Etha and the, the citizens of Vermilion have progressed or uh, are yeah. at least weathering their dust storms. <laughs> right. 
I would love that. <laughs> Great. And for all of you out there, dear listeners, thank you for joining Laurie and me. Until next time, um, do go out and pick up a copy of Death of a Rainmaker. You might even snag a couple of those What Doesn't Kill You books by Pamela Fagan Hutchins while you're at it. And um, we'll be back to chat soon uh, about real women uh, in books and the ones who write them. Good wine and really great books. Take care.